You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Um, well, welcome everybody. Um, I'm Victoria Lynn. I'm director of the Tarawara Museum of Art. And on behalf of the panel, I'd like to thank M Pavilion for inviting us along today, and in particular, Naomi Milgram. Um, I'm chairing two sessions this afternoon, and the first session is, of course, with Michael Brand, who is the Director of the Art Gallery of New South Wales, Shane Elliott, CEO of the ANZ Bank, and Louise Heerman, Archibald winner um, from a few years ago. And the extensive biographies are up on the website. So, prestigious and controversial, um, the Archibald Prize is Australia's foremost portraiture prize and it offers $100,000 to the winner. It was established uh, by a bequest uh, left to the gallery by Jules-Francois Archibald, who was the founding editor of the Bulletin magazine. And according to his will, uh, the Archibald is to be awarded annually to the best portrait preferably by some man or woman distinguished in art, letters, science or politics, painted by any artist resident in Australasia. And importantly, portraits have to have been painted from at least one live sitting in the year prior to the prize. So since its inception, as many of you will know, there have been many, many uh, very well-known artists who have won the prize, including William Dobell, Brett Whiteley, Adam Cullen, Fiona Lowry, Del Catherine Barton. And of course, the prize is judged by the trustees of the Art Gallery of New South Wales. So today we're going to discuss different aspects of the prize, um, but also just the nature of prizes themselves and what they can offer. There are several examples of prizes around the world, and in fact, they seem to be on the increase, and it's something we might try and think about. Um, there's a, the Future Generation Prize, which is also $100,000 in the US for artists from all over the world under the age of 35. There's the Jamil Prize for art inspired by Islamic tradition, which is £25,000 through the V&A in London. There's a Hugo Boss Prize at the Guggenheim Museum in New York, also $100,000. There's the Buxbaum Award. Uh, the Whitney Biennial, the recipient's given um, $100,000 towards an exhibition at the Whitney the Massoud Duchamp Prize at the Pompidou Centre, 65,000 euros. The Turner Prize, of course, one of the most famous prizes worldwide, 25,000 pounds at the Tate. And in terms of portraiture, there's also the BP Portrait Award, which is from the National Portrait Gallery in London, the Altwin Portrait Competition at the Smithsonian, and the Doug Moran National Portrait Prize here in Australia, which is an acquisitive prize valued at 150,000. So I might start with you, Michael, and um, just the Archibald Prize has attracted quite a lot of controversy over its innings. Um, why do you think it is the, the source of such contested opinions? Thank you, Victoria, and, and welcome everyone. Thanks for having me here. Thank you, Naomi, in particular. Um, the Archibald, I think, gets so much attention. It's partly just because of its longevity and its history, that accumulation of story sort of myth and a little bit of controversy over the way. It's a prize that people want to win. And I think really it's, it's, it's much more than the, the actual prize amount. There's, it is that the fact that when you win the Archibald Prize, you, you are always then referred to as Archibald winning artist, Archibald Prize winning artist, um, who is Herman or Tony Costa. And I suppose there's always a little bit of jealousy might creep in and someone might think that someone won who shouldn't have won. Because that's really... 
the controversies have really been about more about sort of what constitutes portraiture as opposed to a qualitative, you know, I think my portrait's better than your portrait. You know, was a painter from a photograph, the very famous one in 1942 with William Dobell and Joshua Smith, where, where it was, he was charged with painting a caricature um, as opposed to a portrait. And I think each controversy in each year just builds up more and more anticipation, interest um, in the prize itself. And also there were a couple of years where there was no prize awarded at all because the trustees didn't think there was a worthy winner the, back in 1964 and again in 1980. And there was also a court case when uh, one artist didn't paint the painting from life and he lost the prize. Is that right? That's right. I think it was, uh, is it John... John Bloomfield. John Bloomfield. But then I think about 10 years later, he brought a case against somebody else who I think he charged with painting from a photograph. That had his revenge on that one, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Um, so this year you had 919 entries, 51 finalists, um, and 12 of them were first-time finalists. And it seemed to be this year to me a lot more uh, cultural diversity amongst the sitters. Um, and I just wonder what happens when the trustees are choosing the paintings. Are they, in fact, trying to curate an exhibition as much as they are choosing potential winners of the prize? Well, that's a really good question because that, that's something which people don't normally think about or actually ask questions about. So as I think you all know, our 11 trustees are the judges of the Archibald Prize and, and the Win Prize for Landscape um, also. I, as director, um, sit there with them when the paintings are brought before them over a whole weekend. I mean, 900 or so Archibalds, 7,800 win landscapes. They see, you know, 16, 1,700 paintings um, over a weekend. The, what normally happens is the paintings are carried in front of them quite quickly. It's quite funny. So you sit in a row, or they sit in a row, and all these paintings on legs, sort of... <laughs> and we have all our installation crew and volunteers from different parts of the museum. It's this amazing um, logistical system. They all they get walked past. What normally happens is there are very few absolute yes, this has to go in the finals. I mean, what you see are the finalists, the 40, 45 finalists out of the 990. So very few get absolute yes. Most get no. And, and sometimes, please take that away from us as quickly as you can. Uh, and then a, the major, a large number get the maybes. So you probably get you know, five to ten yeses at maximum, and then, you know, perhaps a hundred maybes. And that's when the sort of the judging slash curating starts, where you, they start to look at groups of, like, you know, do we have too many big heads? Can we, can we squeeze some smaller... I mean, you can't... We're actually including about 45 paintings now in each finalist, as opposed to about 30, I think, in the 80s or 90s, when there was a sort of a, a plague of very, very large photorealist heads. And, you know, and then... Then I think they also think about the subject matter. A, are the subjects interesting enough? Um, and I think also, do they reflect the sort of the true face of Australia in terms of diversity? Um, yeah, so that they, they definitely do take that in mind. But then we also have a curator uh, who will be nominated each year to curate the show. But that's not in not, not picking the works. It's actually working out how to display them. And he or she will talk to the trustees about, you know, I think you need to trim two or three more or you need, you know, a bigger one or, you know, that, that sort of thing. So um, on that notion of diversity, this, was, this year there were more Indigenous subjects and artists than ever before. Um, so is that a conversation that happens around the table? Let's, let's choose more Indigenous subjects if we can? With the Archibald judging, the trustees are, again, certainly aware of that. 
what's been really nice, I think, is that this year, I think out of the 45 or so, 43, 45, I think there are seven or eight paintings either by an Indigenous artist or of an Indigenous subject, uh, and sometimes on a, of an Indigenous subject, not by an Indigenous artist. And that has happened actually naturally. The, the one place where I think there's been more of a discussion about changing things has actually been with the Win Prize, where out of the 40, 45 landscape paintings till very recently, you might get one, only one or two Indigenous paintings. But with the, with the, the Archibald, and to the trustees' credit, it has just started to evolve quite naturally. So if we could just turn to the winning painting by Tony Costa. I know Tony's going to speak soon, but I just wonder um, what the trustees saw in it or, and if you don't want to talk about that, perhaps what you see in that painting. But it's, yeah, I mean, how, is, it, is it a difficult process choosing the winner? How long does it take? Yeah, well, of course, what they saw in it was a, was a very fine portrait. Um, and in this case, a, a portrait of someone that they actually know well. So they, because Lindy had been... Um, one of our two artist trustees for nine years, till about two or three years ago. Our, on our 11-person board, we always have two artists. So Lindy was a well-known figure, so I think they, a lot of them felt that they could certainly judge it was a very fine portrait. So what happens is you have the 45, say, paintings in the, uh, that are hung for the exhibition, and they're put on the walls for about a, 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 after about a week or so um, before the opening. The trustees can come in and look at those works hung in the gallery, properly lit, as opposed to being you know, carried across uh, on a pair of legs. And then on the Friday morning, it's a bit like the, the choice of the, of the next pope or something like that. They, they all come in very early, which is not one of my favourite mornings, 7 o'clock, uh, they come in, and then they have in, intense discussions. What they've normally done is had a few discussions about you know, which ones seem to be the most likely potential winners. So they might focus their discussions down pretty quickly to say, to say 10, you know, 10 or 12 works. And then they, they walk around as a group and, and they talk about them. And that's one of the, so the unseen, really terrific things about the Archibald, I think, is you have a board of trustees for an art museum who have to spend quite a lot of time looking at works of art and actually talking about them and expressing their opinions and thinking about it like that, hearing sometimes contrary opinions and then coming to a consensus. So it's a really fascinating process. And you know, sometimes you might have an artist trustee leads the discussion a bit and says, look, no, don't overlook this painting because it's actually, this is particularly interesting or, or someone, yeah, they'll have different perspectives. Fantastic. Um, I turn to you now, Shane. Sure. Um, so, how did ANZ come to be a sponsor of the Archibald Prize? Well, it's a bit of a long story, actually. Um, so, we've been a sponsor for uh, 10 years, and it was really a... If I just back up a little bit, ANZ's almost 200 years old, and, um, you know, we've, we've been, we went through a bit of a rethink about what is the purpose of our company, why do we exist, why do 50,000 people come to work every day, what's it all for? And as part of that, we said our purpose that has, and actually one of the people who helped us with that said, it's not something that you make up. It's a bit like an archeological dig. You actually have to go back and find out because something has sustained the company for 200, 200 years. And what is it? And so what we discovered was it was really this uh, desire to shape a world where people and communities thrive. And so if you take that through and you say, well, if you're about thriving communities, well, one of the aspects of a thriving community, or the definition of one, is, is, is engagement. And so how do we create engagement? And how do, we, how do we do that? And how do we do that through the things that are, that where we have some relevant voice? And so one of those is around sustainable living. 
about sustainable cities, and that's why we sponsor uh, M Pavilion. Uh, and really, the other one was around this community idea of engagement. And so the Archibald, to us, what we liked about it, it was authentic. It was about real people. And we like the controversy. So the controversy to us is engagement. Well, it means that people care, actually. They care enough to have an opinion. And the other thing that we noted when we first saw it was just the, the wide application. I mean, the, the, it's not an elitist thing. It's not a monocultural thing. It really has wide application. And um, particularly being able to take it to regional Australia was hugely attractive to us. So that's sort of where it all came from, and it, it has delivered on all of those fronts as far as we're concerned. Do you get feedback from your customers? Is there a way that you can uh, get feedback on so that? So we're very fortunate. We take a lot of our customers to it, and it is the, uh, it is the best attended event that we host uh, in, any, in any year. And again, that tells you there is... And we've seen that actually increase over time. So that tells you and uh, that people care about it. Yeah. Do you and, take your customers? Yes. Yes. Well, we invite them. I don't drive them, but we invite them, and 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 we have a we have a night where we bring people along, and then as we take it around the country, we also uh, bring people in the local communities along as well. And ANZ customers get a discount for on, yeah, they do. Um, what do you think so important, Shane, about? Um, a nation depicting itself in a way. I mean, because that's that's really what's going on here is that it's a it's a diverse nation looking at itself in a way. How, why is that important for you? Well, I'm probably the wrong, absolutely the wrong person to ask that. You should probably ask my friend here. Um, I tell you, you know, from my perspective, uh, the relevance that I see is actually, you know, I'm the custodian of a company that's 200 years old, and and it's probably a similar issue. You know, in in global sense, that's quite young actually, and how do you create the sense of purpose and anchoring in terms of what defines the culture of our company? Uh, obviously, we want to be forward-looking, but it has to be built, I think, very much on structures from the past. And so it's, it's sort of respect and recognition and discussion about those things. That would sort of mine, and, you know, art is a, a tool, in my mind, for having those conversations. not the only one, but it's a very important one. And, the, you know, the thing that I like about the Archibald personally, and I see it with our customers, you can go there and not know any of the subjects and just talk about them as art pieces and the, the art, or you can actually have lots of discussion, and people do, about the individuals who are being depicted, and, you know, obviously the ideal when it's an element of both. And I think that's what's unique about portraiture as opposed to general art. Well, let's turn to a portrait that uh, you painted, Louise, of Barry Humphreys. It won the prize in 2016. Um, Barry was, an, was 82, I think, at the time. And he, of course, is the comedian, satirist, actor. You didn't paint him as uh, Les Patterson or Dame Edna Everidge. You painted him as uh, very much as Barry. Interestingly, I was at the National Portrait Gallery in Canberra recently and noted that the first portrait that went into their collection was Clifton Pugh's portrait of Barry Humphreys when he was quite a young man, very angular with a shot of black hair. Um, so how did the portrait come about? Well, basically, can you hear me? Yep. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Barry Humphreys and then 
when he did his final concert, which wasn't his final concert, I was sitting in the audience going, you know, I think I should paint Barry for the Archie. And I had a bunch of ideas, but Barry also comes around to the studio when he's in town. So I get to see Barry in his civilian clothing, which is always very glamorous. And um, I just chose a particular time and outfit that sort of felt and looked like the Barry that I know. So that's how that came about. What do you think you were trying to convey in terms of the Barry you know? Gee, I don't know. That's the thing. That's why I painted it. I, I, the reason why I paint pictures is because I can't just sit down and s explain why, what it is I'm trying to convey with the picture. I actually let the picture tell me what it's trying to explain, but when it does, it tells me without words. So that's not very useful, is it? <laughs> that's what's great about painting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you're not a, you're not a portrait painter per se. You're a, you're a figurative painter, yep. and um, but nevertheless, there are a number of um, models, I suppose you could say, that you've used over the years in your works. People that off they're often people that you know. Is that correct? Yes, people I know, people I don't know. But um, I essentially like people to think about each picture and not and wonder about it. I think it's really a mistake to tell too much about a picture. I think you've got to leave a certain amount of guessing to the individual who's looking at it. Otherwise, you take a lot away from them, in my opinion. So if I was to say, imagine if, um, what's his name, Da Vinci had said, well, you know what, Mona Lisa was this girl who lived around the corner and so on and so forth. She'd probably be a little bit less interesting. Don't you think? Absolutely. <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> the, um, the portrait of Barry um, had an extraordinarily eerie light to it, which is something that I find in all your work. And it seemed to me that it was um, more a Louise Heerman eerie painting in a way verged more on that side of things than necessarily a portrait, if you like. So it's like you you got him to be in one of your paintings. Well, that's nice. That's, that's a good comment. Like, what what was eerie about it? It's the it's the light and the way that you painted his head and the background, and it's just a kind of eerie quality that you managed to capture in the works. Really? Mm. Well, that's that's good. <laughs> Did you think it was eerie? <laughs> I, I, no, I'm not sure I would have used that word, but there you go. I'll have another look. <laughs> Do you think it was eerie? Mm, I, perhaps I wouldn't have said eerie, but there is a there is a very beautiful light in the in that painting, that it's perhaps it's theatrical more than than eerie, but it's certainly he's not just sitting there in, in regular light, and I think that light does add to the to the mystery of the painting and right. the, sort of the yeah. inscrutability a bit. Well, he's an extraordinary character to look to look at at any time, you know, just even over the kitchen table can't take your eyes off him. <laughs> Louise, you've written a little bit about um, what, what it is to paint a portrait um, in terms of what happens somehow between the brush and the canvas. Can you elucidate some of that for us today? Oh, that somehow when you're making a, a portrait of someone, it's almost like... Um, 
making a vinyl record in a weird way that you, the light waves from that person go through your brain and through your body and then they appear on the other side as some kind of... No, I can't. <laughs> I vibration. Could, I could I vibration it, it was. was it, a vibration? it was vibration. Yeah. <laughs> um, some artists um, go into the Archie year in and year out. Um, had you entered it before? No, I, that was, um, I was lucky with that. But I did say in my speech, didn't I, that I thought I scooped the pools with some prizes when I was 16. I won three prizes for my painting. And then I was runner-up for the next 30 years. So, <laughs> um, I entered the Moran three times. Right. won the third time. Yeah. Mm, mm. What do you think comes first for artists? Is it the prize or is it the desire to paint a portrait? Oh, look, if you enter a prize, clearly you want the money and you want to win because the winner takes all. If you, you're in the exhibition if you don't win, but you, you're not on the postcard and you're not, you don't get all the publicity. So, obviously you want, to, you want to win if you enter these prizes, but on a daily basis, just making your own work is, is what I do. But when I run into financial troubles, I enter prizes. <laughs> <laughs> so prizes can, prizes can give you financial reward. But Michael, I wonder, can prizes do something else for an artist? Because there are just so many prizes around the world. And, um, Australia has a, a high number of them. What, what is it that you think prizes can offer artists in general? And we, we actually probably do have a few too many prizes. We're trying to deprizify the Art Guild of New South Wales a little bit. We had a Dobell drawing prize also, which we've transformed into a Dobell biennial, which is a curated exhibition where a curator picks five or six artists. So that's, that's one side of it. They are just wonderful opportunities, um, particularly with the Archibald and, and the Wynn, to get, for an artist to get their work in front of a very big audience. And that in itself, I think, is a fantastic thing. So with the Archibald, we normally get around about 140,000 people through the show. So those 45 artists, some like Louise might have, you know, might have a, um, a monographic show at the MCA recently and have similar numbers, but a lot of artists will not um, be shown um, in front of an audience like that. So that's very, very important. I think it's a way of um, seeing a lot of artists doing the same thing you know, side by side, a bit of evaluation. What's been very important, I think, for the success of the Archibald and particularly more recently, is to make sure we get a broad range of artists to enter the exhibition. So if you come along, you'll see some old favourites. There are some artists who enter pretty much every year and some get in the finals virtually every year. I think Robert Hannaford has been in, I think, 25 times. <laughs> what, what about Lewis Miller? Uh, not as many as that, but still really? quite a few. And then, but then, then to get a balance of art of younger artists, there are emerging artists who, ha who haven't been in there. And that's what will keep it lively as opposed to it, you know, in the olden days where think no William Dargie would win most years. Mm. <laughs> and how often do the visual arts, the static visual arts, ever get on the news? Very rarely. And that is an amazing phenomenon. From my experience working in North America, I have never seen any exhibition. Most North American exhibitions don't get any TV coverage at all. You could argue they might get better um, newspaper coverage uh, or deeper, but I don't, the, the TV coverage of the Archibald is remarkable. Even the packing room prize gets um, extraordinary TV coverage. Why is that? Why do you think that is different here? 
I think because it is, there's just so many people interested. And I think one of the reasons why so many people are interested in it is the whole judging thing. And that's partly a curiosity about who judges it and do they think it's a good winner or a bad winner. But also I think it is because it's an exhibition where people are invited in and expected to, have, to make up their own mind about it. And you, you come in and you think, oh, the judges were crazy. You know, they, that painting never should have won. Or they agree with it, or they, they talk about it. Where if they go into an exhibition by Picasso, they presume, well, they're masterpieces. They're Picasso masterpieces. So what, what more can I say about it? I'll, I'll enjoy them, and I'll read the labels, perhaps. But this is a show where people have an opinion, and I think that's why it has a broad audience, and TVs presumably love, TV stations love, love a broad audience. Yes, and I've never been in an exhibition that's so noisy, actually, because of everybody's uh, got an opinion. And even at Tarawara, people would arrive at the front door and say, where can I vote? Like the People's Choice Award, I think, has very, become a very important element of it. And it is often a different choice from the trustees. Yes, this year it was Dave Darcy, who won both in Sydney and at Tarawara. Uh, yeah, so same do, painting. Do you know I got... People's choice as well for the Moran. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it doesn't often happen. But well, the, the yeah. packing room prize winner has never won the full Archie. It's the kiss of death. It's the kiss Why? of death too, usually the people's choice, isn't it? <laughs> well, that, not that, this that year, I don't think so. so. Oh, after, not this right. yeah. why is why is that? Why is the packing room prize the kiss of death to be also the Archie board winner? It could be the judges. <laughs> <laughs> We've just had a, um, a, a turnover in, in the head of our packing room, but the, it's, a, it's still a fine tradition. Um, but no, they, look, the, they, they do pick uh, um, you know, terrific paintings, but it is interesting that just a different, different mindset. Do they pick from the finalists or do they get a pick from the whole 90, 900 paintings? Hmm, that, that may be a bit of a... a, bit of a blurred, a, blurred. A, a, a bit of a secret, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think they, they, they're the ones who see the paintings coming in, so they, they have really handled all 900 of them before the trustees get to see any of them. So they're, they're already developing a, a bit of a vibe. They, you know, they're waiting till they see something they, they know they like. And, and it's usually very hyper-realistic, almost photographic, very, you know, recognisable people. Yeah, and usually female. <laughs> Not this time, it was Not David Wenham. Vicky, oh. talking about photographic, I noticed in the, the... I judged last year's Moran that 2018 with Daniel Thomas and I've forgotten the other person, which is terrible. But anyway, there were a bunch of pictures that were actually a photograph printed onto canvas and then the artist fiddled around a bit on top. In not such a great way either. And when the photos came in, when the image, digital image came in, I thought, well, that could be, you know, an interesting painting. And then when it arrived, I said, well, you can't have this because it's actually a photograph. Why isn't it in the photo? It's a very strange grey area. It is. It's an increasingly grey area. And it's, I think a couple might have crept in to the finalists this time as well. I'm not sure, Archie. but yes, okay. where there's some kind of print that's laid down on the canvas first and then it's worked on over the top. I saw a few in the Moran that I thought... That's a photo. But of course, there's no law against saying that you have to paint a portrait on a blank white canvas. It gets, it gets very, very tricky how that all works. We're just going back to the packing room prize for a second. The other role the packing room, our packing room plays, apart from 
um, awarding a prize is they are the ones that receive the works in. And one of the most beautiful things about the Archibald is 900 artists get to bring their work into their state art museum, or, or at least the Archive of New South Wales. They come around the, from around the country, and they bring their works in, uh, very proud of their work and very hopeful of winning. And then they encounter our packing room team, and they have a, it's sort of a fantastic welcome because they really they write into the spirit of the whole process. And that, that is, I think, a very important part of its success too. It's a very festive part of it too, isn't it? Having worked at the Art Gallery for 14 years, <laughs> I'm familiar with it. Um, we've got a about a few minutes now to open up to questions. You've got uh, the people themselves sitting here. So can I open up to some questions? Yes. Okay, um, the, the question is about whether the Archibald has been shown uh, in Warrnambool. First part of that question is very interesting because um, Victoria introduced um, you know, Mr. Archibald who, who uh, bequeathed the funds, the exhibition, Mr. J.F. Archibald, Jules-Francois Archibald. He is in, in, so in terms of Australian identity and creating identity, um, Mr. Archibald was actually born in Warrnambool as John, I think John Feltham Archibald, but he led a more sort of um, bohemian life in Sydney and he thought he ne needed a name that matched that. So with, which is fine, um, but the Archibald travels every year with uh, courtesy of uh, ANZ Bank to regional venues. It's, it's really meant to travel through regional New South Wales, but it always comes, usually starts up with one venue in Victoria. I'm not sure if it's been to Warrnambool or not. I'm just wondering whether um, you think portraiture would be such uh, a popular way of working in Australia if it wasn't for the Archibald Prize. I think it really has um, allowed people to flourish in terms of wanting to paint portraits. What do you think? I think that's true. And where I think you can tell it's true is often you will, like, like Louise, you'll get, you'll get artists who submit entries to the prize who aren't generally portraitists. But it does encourage a whole, a wider range of artists to have a go at it. And that is a really good thing. And yeah, there is, there is discussion about what a, what a portrait is, what's a portrait, what's a caricature, who's worthy of a portrait. And that's been interesting over the years to see. Um, at the beginning, there were lots of, perhaps a few more bankers in the, in the 1920s who were judges, <laughs> uh, politicians. Now, no politicians all, this year at all. None this that year. That must have been deliberate. And we've been, <laughs> we've been sort of joking a bit about the decline of uh, numbers of politicians. Paul, uh, the portrait of Paul Keating by... Brian Westwood yeah, yeah. in 1992 was the last politician, portrait of a politician to win as a, um, a former prime minister. Um, but actually, it's, it's fluctuated all the way through. There were, there were years in the 30s and 40s where there were no politicians too. But a lot around the war years and right after the war years. You're asking for trouble of your painter, Polly, surely, because half the people might, won't like it. More than half. Yes, My there's a question. There's a question, Naomi. Um, Victoria, both you and Michael said that there are too many prizes in Australia or intimated that there are too many prizes in Australia. And Louise made the comment that when she needs some money, she enters into a competition. Um, we don't need to talk about the lack of arts funding, which we will all agree to, but isn't this a way of um, giving artists financial means that they wouldn't have any other way? And isn't that an important part of these prizes, even though we might think that there's too many, um, they do offer an opportunity to artists that they wouldn't get otherwise. 
to everyone. Like, yeah, to the... Like, you don't have to be chosen to enter the Archie. You can just enter, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it gives an opportunity for artists whose work wouldn't normally be seen to be seen by a wide public. Um, as long as there's a balance, because exhibition making is uh, a critical and intellectual discipline in itself. And it's important that our museums and galleries continue to encourage the sort of process of exhibition making that happens, retrospectives of artists' works, group exhibitions and so on, um, alongside the opportunity to enterprises. But often when a young artist asks me, how could they start out? Um, what should they do? I say enter as many prizes as you can because it's a great way not only to get your work exposed but also for a young artist to see their work in the company of other artworks and that in itself is a learning opportunity for an emerging artist. Then you're right. No, it's, it's, all, it's all a matter of balance. I certainly wouldn't want to suggest that we don't do any prizes but we, we have had you know, limited space at the Archive of New South Wales. We've just broken ground on our new building, so that be, should um, be less of a problem. But you do want that balance between prizes and, as Victoria showed, about you know, curated exhibitions where um, a, some of the curatorial team at the museum or a guest curator can actually um, put together uh, an exhibition through other means. The other thing is to try not to allow the arts to become too competitive, where it's all about you know, all about winning prizes and being ranked as the winner or the runner-up or, or something else to. Um, but it's also sort of quite fun to have these things too. It's really fun. Oh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> There's a question over here. Yeah, um, just a question to all of you. Um, over the years, we've seen a breaking down of barriers as, as to what constitutes a portrait. Um, in 2012, Tim Storia's uh, portrait had no face in it of the, the winner itself, of the self-portrait. So, and it came as a, a huge shock to me that you mentioned that, you know, artists are now using prints and then sort of painting over the top. Um, so, what other barriers do you see progressively in the future sort of being broken down? Um, th you know, 3D paintings, um, collages, um, that sort of thing. What's, what's going to be eventually... Um, a tightening of, or is, will there necessarily be a tightening of rules of what will constitute something that will qualify as a portrait? I'm just, about the photographic um, painting, the paintograph, I think if you're running a painting prize, essentially it should be a painting, uh, or, or you should enter it in a photographic prize. Because, you know, they're both legitimate images, but if it's one thing masquerading as another, I think you're running into trouble there because a lot of people will say, wow, that's amazing that someone could paint that, and, but it's, it's actually a photograph. But, you know, there's, that's a, another area, but I just think if it's a painting prize, then it needs to be paint. I mean, with the Archibald Prize, it has to be a painting, so it can't be a, a hologram or, or, a, or a video piece, but that is totally a legitimate form of portraiture too. But, you know, artists have always used aids. I mean, people have used, you know, camera obscurers and, and you know, various ways of projecting images. So, so that, that in itself doesn't make a bad portrait. Um, in the Archibald, you have to have had at least one session with the subject painting from life. That doesn't mean you can't use photographs also. And in the end, a, re a painting which relies entirely on a photograph 
is, is pretty obvious and generally they're not very interesting. So most of those will get wheedled out along the way because it's always a dead giveaway in a photograph. Because remember, if you're going to base it on a photograph, it should be a good photograph too. And most people don't take very good photographs. And you can always see like they're really large feet if they're sitting because they've got, they've got a wide angle lens on their, on their phone and very, very big hands. And you don't see that if you paint from life. But if you can paint a terrific portrait that really works, and everyone can see it works if, if they've used a photograph along the way for memory, as they might draw you know, sketches as well you know, that they've made afterwards. Um, it, it is all part of a mysterious process. And any, I, any having lived with the Archibald for seven weeks, um, to me the works that worked the best were not just a likeness, that, but they had a kind of emotional connection, not only to the subject, but also to, for the audience. So there were works of great intimacy. Um, you know, there were two works of women about to give birth. There were works that showed companionship. There were works about motherhood. There were works about connection to country, um, leadership, you know, people, modest people who had achieved great things but are not really very famous. But one of the complaints we do get is that there are not enough celebrities. And um, we might end, this might be the final question, but why is that? They get too much attention anyway. Why aren't there as many celebrities as I think possibly there used to be? Mm. I, I mean, you know, again, I'm the wrong person to ask, but I would have thought it's just too expected, right? I mean, you know, you, it's just too ordinary. I, I, why would you want to go and see a painting of a celebrity? You want to go and see really, really interesting, something different. You see a lot of them today, and I think yeah. people are bombarded with images of celebrities. So... Would, in my view, it would have to be an extraordinary uh, image or, 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 or painting of somebody to really make the difference. I mean, if you, if you, instead of saying celebrity, if you say someone well-known, which could be for a better cause than just being a celebrity, um, it can be hard for a younger artist to get access to someone and to, and to go and knock on their door and say, no, would you mind if, I, if you came to my studio for a few hours and I painted your portrait? And that's a, bit, a little bit of a sad thing that we, we do worry about. You know, do you get too many self-portraits? Uh, and a self-portrait is a fantastic medium itself, but it's uh, a an issue. Let's go back to the last thing about photography. We um, do um, an event every year with the, um, with the Archibald for the Mariah School, in, uh, to Jewish school in Sydney. And their young rabbi always has a really interesting speech he gives. So I have to go before him now because it's impossible to follow. But one year he said that in Hebrew, the word for portrait is plural. I think that's just something interesting. If you think of a photograph at freezes you in a you know, one five hundredth of a second where a, a sitting in a studio you spend a couple of hours with someone. I think that's a really interesting notion that a portrait is actually represents many aspects of someone rather than just the, the camera snapping you instantaneously. Well, I think that's all we've got time for for this first panel. It's going to be a five-minute break and then we'll have uh, Tony Costa, this year's winning artist and Lindy Lee, his subject, up next. But please now join me in thanking our panel. Thank you. You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.